Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers Podcast. It's Joe and Julie back with another episode where we tell you what we've been reading individually and then collectively. First off, thanks to those of you we've heard from. We've got a handful of reviews, fortunately good reviews, uh, at Apple Podcasts. If you're not among that number, please help us out. Be among that number. Uh, if you've got something nice to say, we'd love for you to say it. If not, well, it was some other podcast. It probably wasn't us. No. But uh, the other thing is you can always reach out to us at Paperback Readers Pod. It's Paperback Readers with an S, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Let us know uh, what we should be reading, what you thought about what we read, how we can better serve you in this unending conversation about all things book. All right. So to start, we're going to talk about the things that we have been reading. Joe, you take it away. I did finish The Blood of Emmett Till by Timothy B. Tyson. Uh, I talked about that a little bit last time. It is just a heartbreaking uh, account of the Emmett Till murder, uh, which in many ways it feels like a thousand years ago and in other ways feels more recent than the 65 years ago it is. Uh, I recommend it. It's a fascinating read, an account of a very sad but very important part of American history and one that obviously still echoes today. Uh, The other things I read, two biographies and very different, but, uh, you know, kind of different sides of the same coin of what makes a good biography. Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. That one did take me forever. It is 700 plus pages, (laughs) uh, but exhaustive and brilliant. And then 24, Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. That's Willie Mays, if you're not a baseball fan, by John Shea. Now, this is a new one that you haven't talked about on here before, right? Correct. Correct. Kind of stumbled onto it. And here's the difference in the two in a nutshell. Okay. Hamilton obviously has been dead since the early 1800s. Chernow's biography is historic. It is exhaustive. It's 700 plus pages. It's immaculate. It is wonderful. Uh, Reading through it, you see everything that pops up in the stage show Hamilton and plenty of other amazing things. Um, I can't express my my approval more highly uh, for a book than I could for Alexander Hamilton. Turnout does a great job if you like history, if you like the show Hamilton, if you like good biography. It's a great book. So tell us more about the Say Hey Kid. Okay, so Willie Mays, on the other hand, is still alive. Willie Mays is an old man. Uh, He's around 90. But John Shea did a really cool thing. He kind of interviewed Mays briefly. He talked to everybody who had a Willie Mays story, including presidents uh, Bush 1, Clinton, and Bush 2, I think, for the book. Oh, that's really cool. So he, he got all these stories and then kind of ran them through Willie. And Willie would say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, but, but he did a cool thing in that he broke it down into 24, which was Mays' uniform number, uh, kind of rules for life, basically. Uh, and it's not you know, strictly a self-help book, but it helps organizationally. It's more of an anecdotal kind of biography. Again, Mays is alive. Mays was a baseball player. He wasn't the secretary of the treasury. He didn't fight a duel with Aaron Burr. So it's very different, but it really made Mays come to life and to hear, yeah, to hear George George uh, W. Bush be a <laughs> fanboy or Bill Clinton talk about the Mays jersey he has at home. Uh, you know, through this story. It's a really cool way to tell a biography. And there, there are several Mays books out there, oddly probably more than Hamilton books. 
So while Chernow had to be definitive, Shea had to kind of come at it with a fresh angle. And that's really what he does with 24. Uh, and it's what makes it kind of a, a cool counterpoint and a much shorter counterpoint to Chernow's <laughs> amazing Hamilton book. Well, I really like the way that that sounds. It sounds like a really, really unique way to structure a book. And you say that he ran all of those stories back by Willie Mays and got his take on them? Not only did he. Okay, so I listened to the audiobook, and this was cool. At the end of the audiobook, there's about a 10-minute clip of John Shea and Willie Mays talking. So oh, wow. after all of this story being told, you know through the lens of Mays, then you actually hear him at the end. Shay's kind of asking him things and he'll say, yeah, you know, I remember that. Uh, so just, just a cool book and two very different books, but two books that I enjoyed very much. Uh, reading them at the same time was kind of cool, but anyway, that's, that's my nerd story, uh, for the week. <laughs> uh, you probably weren't reading about Hamilton or Willie Mays, but what were you reading about? Well, I read three books lately that were all along the same genre, really. Um, I, the first one was By the Book by Amanda Sellett. This one's actually young adult literature. It's about a high school student who has to change schools, and then her whole perspective for approaching high school is from classic literature. So you were talking about nerd stories. This one was right up my alley for that. Then I read The Switch by Beth O'Leary, which I'd been waiting for ever since I read her first book, The Flat Share, which was one of my favorite books that year. Um, the Switch is about uh, a young woman who totally blows this presentation. She's had a lot of trauma in her life lately, and she blows a presentation at work, and she has is uh, given two months sabbatical because of that, that she doesn't know what to do with. Meanwhile, her grandmother, whom she's very close to, has just been divorced from her husband and is looking for love. And so the two of them switch homes and switch places to try to give both of them the difference that they need. Um, I just loved this book because it felt like the books that I used to read when I was in high school that made me love reading so very, very much. It just felt kind of like a touchstone for going back to the things that I used to really care about. And then the last one I'm actually still finishing right now. It's called The Air Affair by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan. And this one is a fictionalized account of uh, the monarchy in, in England. It's the sequel to The Royal We, which I just thought was really, really fun. I'm not really a monarchy person. I love England, but I don't really follow the monarchy at all. But I just thought these books were super fun to read. So when I say all three of these books are kind of in the same genre, they're all really sort of light. They're just fun. They're very diverting. They're great escapes. So the switch, it sounds like the parent trap in reverse, kind of. Is that a fair comparison? More like Freaky Friday, where the mom and the daughter change places. But this one is the mom, the daughter and the grandmother who switch places all the way around. Well, and I mean, you you can do some fun things there with, with kind of intergenerational things. I, I mean, we like to pretend that young people and old people are totally different and have these different lives. And, and obviously, you know, we do different things with technology and, and we inhabit different spheres of the world. But but is it really that different? You know, that, that's got to be fun to go at. Right. And that was one of the things that I really enjoyed. Grandmother goes to London, moves into her flat with her roommates and just fits right in with them, slides into this life that she had maybe planned for herself so very many years ago. Um, it's just sweet. Such a sweet story all the way through. Well, and that sounds like it kind of echoes uh, a man called Ove, in that you you have this kind of <laughs> preconceived notion of of you know old, old people how would they fit in and and actually 
you know, there's something candid and real in old people that I think young people crave, uh, particularly people who maybe don't have a lot of those kind of influences in their life. Yeah, and that's true. But this, uh, Uva was all about the cranky, the curmudgeon fiction. Right. This was not curmudgeon fiction whatsoever. <laughs> all right. For me, the next things that I have up, I've actually not started either of these two yet, but they are next on my list. One of them is a memoir, How to Be a Good Creature by Cy Montgomery, and then Not Like the Movies by Carrie Winfrey. And I hope to be talking about those next time that we get on. I actually have no idea what I'm going to be reading. Uh, I'm, I'm still working on Carl Rollison's uh, William Faulkner biography. So that will be part of it. Um, it's a great book, but not unlike Hamilton, very dense. It's it's some reading. So I may be talking about that one for a while. Beyond that, um, you know, my, my shelf overfloweth. So I'll come up with something. But, but before I let you go on, I think you left out an important part of the air affair which is that we have the, the, the Queen of England, as it were, in the novel, uh, <laughs> exposed to Chicago Cubs culture. And, and <laughs> I can't let you just blow by that. You read that to me, and, and I, I heartily approved. Yeah, I don't usually read much of this kind of book to you, but when the Queen of England became a huge Chicago Cubs fan, yes. you. And this book is set in 2016 when they won the World Series, and so we went through all that. It was just so much fun to read read well and in the ways that the chicago cubs uh, bring it all together as we go to our common books we actually have a couple of common books to talk about we had one that we'd picked out but it's a very short book and i think we can talk about it quickly and then another one came onto our radar but that's another story but tim Sorens is a chicago cubs fan he's also <laughs> the guy who wrote everywhere you look discovering the church right where you are uh, which was an interesting book we were drawn in kind of you know, the the current pandemic presents some interesting challenges and some interesting opportunities for the Christian faith. Um, and Sorens wasn't intending to write about any of that, but he is kind of re-examining uh, the church, what we think about, how we construct our religious community. And those challenges and opportunities take on kind of a new light in the current situation. And that was what drew us in. Uh, but but Soren's, again, very thin book, 120, 130 pages, but he's got some incredibly profound things to say. And this book was unlike some of the others that we read together because we actually chose this one together and decided to read it to get like we had two bookmarks in it at the same time as we read and just tried to talk about chapters as we went through it. The main thing that stood out to me about this book, again, like Joe said, we're, you know, when we talk about this, we're trying to look at the ways that maybe the church could reimagine itself. That's why we chose this book. Everything is upside down. So what should the church be doing right now? What we found out from this book, what Sorens is thinking and what we agree with him now on is that maybe it's not so much the church as a structure that needs to change, but our attitude toward what the church is supposed to be in our lives and in the world that is supposed to change. One of his big um, points from the beginning of the book is that he will not allow in his family for it to be said, we are going to church because as Christians in the world, we are supposed to be the church. The building is not the body of Christ in the world. We are the body of Christ. And the premise of his book is, how do we live that in the world? So uh, he talks quite a, de a great deal about how to pay attention to wherever you are in the world. And he's very much about the physical 
structure the, the world that you're in. I mean, we talked to you, you brought up there his feelings on the physical building versus the church as the community of believers outside the physical building. But at the same time, he is very tied to physical location uh, because parish is a word that comes up again and again and again. He uses it. He definitely is a big advocate of considering church in terms of a community of people, a neighborhood, an area even. Uh, but, you know, people confront the world differently based on where they are. And he kind of says, accordingly, we got to pay attention in our neighborhood, in our town, maybe in our county even. Uh, but that's where we live our lives. So the challenges are the same. Uh, and the beneficial work that God is doing can be the same, and we need to see it that way. So that was interesting. Okay, so personal applications from this book, things that you and I have talked about as we read and as we finished it and thought about what it means for us. When I picked up this book, I thought, all right, we're going to find a system. We're going to find something that we can do in a pandemic time to make the church um, relevant to people who don't always go and, you know, almost nobody is going right now. The challenge that I found when I read this book is that there was no system. There was no one, two, three, here's how we make the church more relevant. Instead, what it said, pretty much paraphrasing here, was you have to get off your butt. You have to be the one to get up and go out into the world, know your neighbors, know the people in your communities, listen to them, learn from them. And when I thought about that, I realized that that's exactly the picture of the church that we were shown in Acts that we're supposed to be modeling our church off of, not necessarily just a place that we go every week, but a way that we are in the world. Absolutely. And that was the book that we decided to read. And then Disney Plus decided to complicate our lives by giving us another book. I'll let you tell that story. <laughs> okay, so we had decided all along that we were going to talk about Everywhere You Look. But then our daughter got super excited when she realized that The One and Only Ivan by Catherine Applegate, the Disney movie, was about to come out. She and I read that book several years ago. Um we read a lot of young adult and middle grade literature around here. One of the by the book that I mentioned earlier on this episode is young adult literature. We really think that reading young adult and middle grade literature is important at any age. Um, and I know it's been especially helpful to me and not just because I have kids. As adults, everything feels really heavy sometimes. And right now, for the last six months, many, many things have just seemed to be so heavy, it's hard to carry them. Um, I've heard lots of people talk about grief that they're trying to process. When I pick up a book like The One and Only Ivan, um, or by the book, I remember that kids and teenagers feel that heaviness too. Lots of times as adults, and especially as parents, we think we're the ones carrying it. We're the ones dealing with all the loads so our kids can live these good lives, but our kids feel that stuff too. They are affected. But in these books, it reflects the fact that kids also bring just such a real hope and a sense of possibility for what the world could still be that it's good for us to remember. And so I love, love, love reading middle grade and YA with my kids and with you, Joe. Well, so the story is our daughter decided we all 
had to read the book before we could watch the movie. <laughs> hey, so. that's, a, that's a family rule around here. You have to do it. So my eight-year-old plowed through it, and somewhere along the way, somebody said, well, you know that one? And I said, no, I didn't read it. So I got to read it, too, but I read it in like a day. Um, and you loved it. I, I did. So Cliff Snow's version of the novel, uh, Ivan is an animal novel. Uh, Ivan is a gorilla. He uh, lives in a sort of a shopping mall circus. It's just kind of one of those cheesy things you see by the side of the interstate. Um, he has animal friends in there. There's Stella the elephant. Ruby is a baby elephant who comes and joins in, and Bob is a dog. Ivan is an artist, unbeknownst to maybe even to Ivan, certainly everybody but Ivan. And a lot of the novel ends up being about Ivan's art and his quest to be free. Um, so there's a lot to chew on here. Now, I don't read a ton of YA stuff, but yet there seems like a substantial number of important books about animals uh, in, in young adult fiction. The two that kept jumping to my mind with Ivan were Charlotte's Web and Cricket in Times Square. And I'm going to admit that when you mentioned those to me, I thought, oh, wow, I totally see that. But I had never made those connections before. So Ivan, you know, the books are, they almost feel like they're of a type. Okay. Stella the Elephant is like Charlotte. She is this mature maternal figure who's wise. Ruby, the name is probably not incidental. Ruby's a rube. Ruby's a, a rookie. Ruby is the baby. She's the new one. And Ivan's got to kind of be this balance between this hopeful naivete and this kind of fatigued world wisdom. And that's what he inhabits. And Bob, meanwhile, is, is like the street hustler character that all of these novels seems to, <laughs> seem to have. He's the ultimate realist. He's, he's the one who knows how the world works. Uh, the depth is Julia, who is this child who's really the only one who can interpret their world. And that's what seems to happen with these novels. There's always a child who's the observer and kind of the conscience of the human world. It's that, always the kids who pick up on the depth that right. everybody else misses. Exactly. And, and that's the case here, too. Um, love the novel. So many fun things. Uh, what's one of the things that stands out? I mean, we could do this all day. Well, it's organized into short, short chapters, which is why you were able to read it so very, very quickly. Um, some of the chapters are only a page long. It's told from Ivan's point of view, and he's just got this distinct, believable voice. Um, it's not always terribly communicative, and it's not a linear no novel in terms of time. Um, it's really more linear. It's organized in terms of his self-awareness, which is hard for him to come to because of the extreme loneliness that he has. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Ivan is is this creature of captivity, and he has to make sense of his world through that lens, and and that's really a, an essential part of the story. Um, the big thing for Ivan, I, I'm not going to give too much away here, but no, I, no spoilers. Ivan makes a promise midway through the book, and that promise totally transforms who Ivan is, because Ivan is that kind of dependable character. Yeah, he doesn't emote. He doesn't like to share a lot about himself. He's not bubbly and outgoing. But when he makes a promise, he intends to see it through. And that really is where we end up going with Ivan. 
One of my favorite things about it, and I read this book a couple of years ago and then just watched the movie recently, there was a phrase that recurred several times in the book, which was um, places where humans make amends. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Ivan is holding on to so much grief and sadness, but it's like there's this place that's being held out, this idea that amends can be made for whatever has happened to you. And I really liked the idea that ran through the book that we all mess up. And this was maybe um, reflected, it, it was really reflected well in the movie too, that we all mess up our lives. And the ways, the particular ways we mess up our lives also extend to each other. The wrongs that we do affect far beyond just us. So a huge part of our lives is making amends, whether for what we did or what other people did to us. We have as one of the purposes of our lives, the goal to make it as right as we can for other people. So are we saying at this point maybe that the one and only Ivan is like Field of Dreams for the gorilla? (laughs) You would would say Field of Dreams. (laughs) Uh, You know, it it could be. Great movie, too, incidentally. Loved the novel, loved the movie. It was wonderful. Now, there are some differences in the movie. Uh, the main thing that came up to me, the movie kind of casts a different light over Ivan and the other animals' relationship with Mac, who is the guy who owns and runs the shopping mall circus. And let me throw in that this was the one criticism I heard our son make. He did not think Mac looked right. In his head, the way that the book was, there should have been a different actor for Mac. Yeah, but but it, Mac is different in the movie and the book and and. Watching the movie, I'm not sure which one I feel was more valid. I was glad that I did read the book so that I had both to compare. So there you are. My daughter is right. Read the (laughs) book before you see the movie. Uh, But I'd encourage you to check both out. Uh, The one and only Ivan, really cool. And I guess that about wraps it up for us this week with our reading. We want to just tell you that we appreciate you joining us. Um, Always thankful that you're listening. And please let us know what else you think we ought to read. And meanwhile, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, they tell me. If you've got some other way you listen to your podcasts, let me know. I will try, as the semi-resident, semi-tech guy, to make that happen. And meanwhile, reach out, paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. Give us positive feedbacks, ratings, tell us about others. Oh, and a new feature, you can get the links and buy the books uh, if you like Amazoning stuff, you can send a few cents into our pocket for which we are eternally grateful. If you don't like Amazon, read the books anyway. Keep reading.